0: Melbourne's diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey.
1: Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Good morning and welcome to Spoken Word on 3CR. My name is Tina Janukas. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which 3CR broadcasts, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to Elders, past, present and future. Today's spoken word honours the poetry of Ron Pretty. Ron is known throughout Australia for his poetry and his teaching and for giving many poets their start in poetry through Five Islands Press. Ron has just published his new and selected collection, 101 Poems, through Pitt Street Poetry. To honour Ron's life and work in poetry, his friends and fellow poets, Kevin Brophy and Alex Scovran will speak of the poet that is Ron Pretty and read some of their favourite works from 101 Poems. Though Ron is not appearing on the show itself, he has provided spoken word with his thoughts about his life and poetry, which will be read by his friend Peter Frankus, who also launched 101 Poems earlier this year. If you are listening to the on-air show, you will hear a small selection of Ron Pretty's poems, but if you want to hear more poetry from Ron you can download the extended podcast of today's show where Kevin Brophy and Alex Goverin provide listeners with extra readings of Ron's poetry. And if you are already listening to the podcast, enjoy the extra readings. The on-air version of today's show will also be available to download. Let's begin with Ron's reflections on his lifelong devotion to poetry read by his friend Peter Frankes.
0: First, Let me say how grateful I am to Tina and to Spoken Word at 3CR for giving me this opportunity to share some of my work with you and to talk about my life and poetry over a period of more than 50 years. I don't feel you can be involved with anything over such a long period unless you're deeply committed to it. As a youth, I was a bit of a drifter. I discovered fairly early on that I enjoyed putting words on paper but for many years I wrote only in rare moments of inspiration. When I enrolled as a student at Sydney Uni, I was introduced to the poetry of W.B. Yeats and his poems made a huge impression on me. His poem, Sailing to Byzantium, remains one of my favourites. That uni course and the poetry it exposed me to made a deep impression on me and I began to take writing much more seriously. A few years later on, I spent a year in Greece, in a town called Ceres, where no one spoke English. I had been a teacher for seven years, and suddenly now I had much more time to myself. I spent most of it burrowing deeper and deeper into poetry, reading as well as writing. After that, writing became something I did every day. I was discovering poets whose work fascinated me and showed me how much I still had to learn Yates, Dunn, Seferis, Bishop, too many to name here. After I returned to Australia, I began sending poems out and began to get acceptances. I got a lot of satisfaction from that, of course, but I realised it was the act of writing itself that gave me most pleasure. My process began with waiting, emptying my mind to see what came. I sat in the evenings with fountain pen, paper, watching words I hadn't expected rolling out. Poems flowed. Of course, when I looked critically at them next morning, many were nonsense, and even those that had potential needed several drafts before they became viable. But the whole process of writing and drafting was deeply pleasurable, and has kept me writing over many years. Not long after I returned from Greece, I joined the staff of what became the University of Wollongong. While there, I joined the School of Creative Arts and we began to take in writing students. I found the process of encouraging them, offering suggestions and critiquing their work was very satisfying. Sharing the work of other writers and exploring their techniques helped my writing as much as the students'. Opportunities for publishing were very limited. Not a lot has changed since then. Our first response was to establish the magazine SCARP. We established the South Coast Writers' Centre and then eight of us banded together to form Five Islands Press. Part of Five Islands Press remit was to establish the new writers' programme. Before it ended, 72 first books had been published in that programme. They were a subset of the 230 books by Australian poets produced while I was publisher at Five Islands. And each Christmas, we also ran the Wollongong workshops to encourage and mentor aspiring poets. A group of 50 or 60 poets and about eight mentors worked together for 10 days writing, discussing, mentoring... It was a process that enriched me and the other mentors as much as it did the participants. The act of writing a poem has been a continuing source of pleasure and satisfaction to me over many years. I've published seven full collections and six chapbooks. So when John Knight of Pitt Street Poetry offered me the opportunity of publishing 101 poems, I was, and still am, very grateful I welcome the chance to choose what I feel are the best poems from my previous collections, plus a dozen new poems. Given my age and indifferent health, I am not writing very much these days, so this book is very likely to be the last one I publish. Choosing the poems to include has given me the chance to reconsider the themes and ideas that have inspired my writing over the years.
1: You're listening to Spoken Word on 3CR. I'm Tina Janukas. We've just been listening to Ron Pritt's reflections on his journey in poetry, read by his friend, Peter Frankis. In the studio, his friends and fellow poets, Kevin and Alex Govran, will talk to us about Ron and his poetry and read some of his poems from his latest collection, 101 Poems. If I may begin with you, Kevin, you've chosen some poems today from across his body of work, from 101 poems. What has drawn you to those particular poems?
2: What's drawn me to the poems I've chosen are the ways in which they characterise his voice. He has a strong and distinctive voice and he has his way of making poetry. And I think the poems I've selected go some way to highlighting and showcasing that.
1: When did you first meet Ron?
2: Ah, well, Ron published uh, my first book of poetry back in 1992. So I first met him as as someone who blindly, naively presented a manuscript and miraculously this man named Ron Pretty accepted it.
1: So Ron has uh, played a, a role in your life that he has played in the life of many poets.
2: Yes, Ron, as we all know, was a publisher of many many new young emerging poets and not just the publisher he mentored and uh, through his new writing program he took on every year for many years half a dozen new writers with their chapbooks books published by Ron on tours across the country to present their work so he was not only a publisher but he took us out into the world and took our poetry out into the world and advocated for poetry.
1: And you also taught later on with Ron at uh, Melbourne University, didn't you?
2: Uh, Yes. And in the lead up to that, there were 10 years of summer workshops at Wollongong University. And then after that, I was present at Melbourne University when Ron was teaching there and again, mentoring students in the beautiful and lovely way that he is capable of.
1: So I imagine the poems you've chosen today are meaningful to you as well. Yes, yes.
2: I uh, relate to and resonate with the voice that he can bring into his
1: poetry. Would you like to read one of your first selections?
2: I'd like to read a poem called Wombat, which comes from A Habit of Balance, published in 1988. A couple of the reasons I've chosen this is that it begins in the sensual world. The sensual, physical world is very much a part of what his poetry is about. It also makes observations of nature, but a nature that is somewhere between being wild and being tamed and never being quite wild and never being quite tamed. And the other reason I've chosen the poem is that it tells a story and Ron's poems very often are committed to telling a story. So Wombat, shivering with the need and fear of love is apt to make the boy forgetful. So when we return from the grass beyond the road in the Royal National or... Pasho Park, as the school kids called it. Grass seeds on the blanket, shoes in hand. I wasn't surprised to see the doors left open. What did surprise were the trusting yellow eyes staring out of darkness in the back seat. Cats are dumped miles from home as alternative to drowning. Tamed wombats After they dig up the potato patch and novelty has given way to smell, i taken back to the scrub they came from. This one had kept its faith in humans as the easier way to food. Made generous by natural pleasures beneath the trees, I shut the door and took him home. There was some difficulty in explaining how I'd come by such an unsuburban acquisition and my parents'. The joys of youth long lost, soon tired of uprooted glads and holes beneath the steps. Apparently angry, but secretly relieved, once the girl had moved on to indoor pleasures with someone else, I took the great brown, smelly lump to the local backyard zoo. Old Martin gave five dollars for my troubles, which I spent as consolation, playing the bandits at the local club. Every now and then I go to see the wombat, comfortably housed in his neat wire cage. I even saw the girl there once, but she only rubbed against her mate and smiled.
1: It has that uh, wonderful sensibility I've always identified in uh, Ron's work. What is the next poem you've chosen? The next poem I've chosen is a poem called Afterwards. This comes from his,
2: of the Stone Collection, 2010. And in some ways it's a a much more simple poem. It's like the first poem, playful with its ideas. So, afterwards, it is finished. The body taken down, the crowd dispersed, soldiers returned to barracks. Around the hill, a cold wind blows, the smell of sand and sweat and blood. By nightfall all is quiet. For the guardians, one question remains. They've put the body in a cave, a rounded stone at its mouth. What men have put in place, then men can surely roll aside. If the body stays, the cave becomes a shrine, we know, the centre of a cult. The crowd that came to see him hang will surely come to worship at the cave's mouth. Candles are lit and incense sprinkled there already. What men have put in place, men can roll aside. With the body gone, the emptied tomb, the cult will fade away. Disciples scatter, and what threatened an upheaval becomes a minor incident of empire. Tonight, we move the corpse place it safely in the earth, and so lay to rest the whole distracting business.
1: That was a wonderful reading of that poem. Another poem for us?
2: A third poem that I wish to read is titled Translation, and it comes from his collection The Left Hand Mirror, published in 2017. I think that by this, we might say later, phase of his writing, he has become more reflective and perhaps more emotional in a um, a kind of um, intense way. He's attacking more complex questions. Perhaps I should contextualise the poem a little. Ron and his wife have adopted two daughters from Sri Lanka, and this is about the meeting of one of his adopted daughters with her birth mother. Translation. She could not speak to her mother when they met. She had just turned 21, but had never seen this small dark woman until then, except in photos. Harris sat beside her, his smile inviting them to break the silence. He would translate, he said, if only they had something to say. Mother and daughter looked at one another, tears on their cheeks. Tell her, she said to Harris, tell her. I did not know where she'd gone, which country she went to. I used to watch the planes fly over, she said, and wonder where they were going, and if she was on them. Alana, for that was the daughter's name, reached out to her without a word. She took her hand. Vizanthi, the mother said, that was your name. And still it is, the daughter cried. Tell her, she said through her tears. Tell her, that's what it is. Star sapphires falling as tears and a second mother, in her pale silence, watching. Alana Visanthi there in that room. Sri Lankan sun streaming in where mother and daughter are holding hands, having no language except its loss. 3CR Community
1: Radio, 855 AM You're listening to Spoken Word on 3CR. I'm Tina Janukas, and I'm talking with poets Kevin Brophy and Alex Scoverin about the work of Ron Prisci. Today they are reading poems from Ron Pritchie's 101 poems published by Pitt Street Poetry. Alex, you've also known Ron for a very long time, like Kevin Brophy has.
3: Well, unlike uh, Kevin, I didn't have the privilege of uh, teaching with Ron. We met around about 30 years ago in the early 90s, and a friendship developed slowly. And later on, in 1999 and 2003, Ron published with Five Islands, two of my collections, my third and fourth book. This actually enhanced our acquaintanceship and we got to know each other a lot better And um, because we worked together on those books and it was a period of, of a friendship that continued to develop and blossom. I also launched a few books for Five Islands by friends and that added another dimension. So slowly over the years, although we didn't actually have an ongoing association and a continuing one, we did maintain contact constantly through that period. Sometimes if Ron happened to be in Sydney and I happened to be in Sydney, then we would meet up. There was a period when Ron lived in Melbourne and then we were able to uh, indulge our friendship even more. And so that's how it was. And over the years, we, um, we followed and appreciated each other's work. You
1: two have chosen favourite poems from Ron's 101 Poems. What has drawn you to those poems?
3: I think the outstanding reason for my having chosen the ones I did is the voice that always comes across with such clarity. Ron's poetry is an open-hearted poetry. I think there's a great clarity, an honesty, um, even an intimacy sometimes, there are many personal poems. The poems that I've chosen actually reflect perhaps not as much Ron's personal story, but his meditations and his explorations, especially of history, perhaps myth, uh, by extension philosophical issues, issues, existential issues, in fact. This cluster of poems that I've selected kind of worked together for me as a, a snapshot or a summation of some of the best that we uh, find and some of the most varied and interesting of Ron's work.
1: I'd love to hear your first selection.
3: I'm going to start with a poem called Of the Stone. It's a title poem, in fact, from the collection Of the Stone, Ron's fourth collection. What attracts me to this poem is the rhetorical unfolding of the language, the incantatory quality of the poem. It's a poem about many things. It covers the whole gamut of experiences, life and love and loss, passage and ultimately its mystery. It's actually a sort of a night music with its rhythms and shadows. One interesting point, Ron's often has been experimenting over the years with different ways of structuring poems and this one has an unusual formal approach. It's a poem of 51 lines Uh, 21 of which all begin with the words of the, and the other 30 lines are all indented quite generously. Of the stone, of the wash of moon across the grass and the deeper shadows of the trees, of the bark peeling away in grey sheets from the gums, of the night never silent, the dust and the steelworks smoke, Of the table vibrating under your arm as the aeroplane takes off, or the train grinds past, or the solid earth crumbles to a fault. Of the thin sheets of moonlight gliding up the beach, whispering to those who stand there, staring beyond the ships at anchor to the dark rim of the earth. Of the grit that the wind carries, and the winter sleet. Of the fractured air before a thunderstorm, the atavistic view to the bruised hills, the trees shivering like vibraphones, and the wires aloud to the clouds. Of the 747 skidding and sidling between the cumulonimbus towers, the passengers bubbling in fear, the crew trying not to show it. Of the mountains hugely disappearing into fog, Rounded cultures thinned to silhouettes, history reduced to lines of battle. Of the moment of recognition that feels like loneliness and the sharp fins of pain. Of the ache of remembrance, of reaching unable to grasp the form that waits there now, or doesn't, or not for you. Of the love that has no root soil, of the loss that gives it strength, Of the heart that aches for nothing but itself, the flow constricted into pain, the pulse arrhythmic, the gasp of love or recognition shaken down to fear. Of the night that pulses on the pen, shivering the Rorschach blots for caterpillar minds to read directions and a faith. Of the edging outwards to an image lined with dreams, cross-hatched with need, the warmth of arms and thighs, the afterglow of sex, the thin wail of passion, of the gross anthology of death, the gush of fire or blood or air, the falling cry, the cold connivance, the mindless panting, of the unfulfilled transfiguring from breath to silence, from love to stone, from softly falling rain to acid, the smoke not of election, but of ash, of the night, of the parting, the need and the fear, the etched and printed books of loss, of the love that fails all understanding, of the stone that blocks the empty tomb.
1: That's quite a remarkable poem.
3: Yes, it's a dark poem in a way, and it seems to have been begun in flight obviously from an aeroplane. It moves from there and hovers all over experience and all over time and memory and passage.
1: What is your next poem?
3: My next poem is from What the Afternoon Knows, 2013, and it is Theseus at AG. Now, this is a dramatic monologue spoken by Theseus, the Athenian hero, who reflects on life and love and especially on the failure of his memory, his fading memory, and in particular his fading memory of Ariadne. Ariadne was a princess, the daughter of Pasiphae and King Minos of Crete. She was a, a young girl who fell in love with this handsome Athenian hero. Theseus had actually come, not for her, but to slay the Minotaur. And it was with her help that famous ball of thread that he was able to enter the labyrinth where the Minotaur, which was a beast, half man, half bull, uh, resided, kill the beast and come out again, find his way safely. Having betrayed her father, Ariadne didn't see the point of hanging around, and Theseus spirited her off to Nexos, an island in the Aegean. And there the stories diverge. According to some versions of the legend, He left her there to die or she committed suicide. The more common legend is that she was found by the god Dionysus and they married. So after that long preamble, here is Theseus at 80. I am in the third level of irritation, in the library of forgetting. I am reading the old scrolls in my head to find the names I can't recall. But that's not it. Something there is, I fear, that means to speak to me, that makes my flesh crawl in the stacks and statutes of the past. These files must open out to me, for what they hold betrays me in the dark unleavened corners of my time. There, that tissue, feathery, almost transparent, a name I don't remember, an image of a face or body that only stirs a sense of loss. In Knossos I I must have known her once, or, or Athens, but nothing stirs above the loins. I search for names and look again for leads hidden in the labyrinth of years. My hands are covered in dust. I sneeze as tears trickle down my cheeks. And once the ferryman transported me to Naxos, that green island, where nightingales won't let you go to sleep. There was a girl. I am in the third age of irritation. This file, an accusation, I do not wish to answer. A fiction I never will recall. Her face. The nightingale. I I sailed away. Black sails. I don't remember. The third circle. Darkness.
1: There's certainly darkness in that poem as the loss of memory plays out, I must say you have another poem for us?
3: I do. And this one is called Peacocks. It's from the New Uncollected Poems section of 101 Poems. Peacocks is in two solid stanzas, 25 lines of free verse, relatively free verse. It straddles a number of different concerns. Peacocks, of course. Beethoven, The Vagaries of Affection. It's a first-person reminiscence, which... The poet effectively turns in several directions at once. So, peacocks. When the rain came that afternoon, I put on the emperor. At first, I thought it was the peacock strutting on the roof, scrabbling around, but no, the downpour was flooding the damp ground. I had seen them earlier, the peacocks, head to head, cock to hen, in what appeared to be avian affection. "'washed away, I shouldn't doubt, in the downpour that followed. "'Lovers caught in the rain often find passion drying with the return of the sun. "'I doubt I'll see those birds so affectionate again. "'Perhaps it was the rain souring my mood, "'or perhaps just the slow movement of the concerto feathering my melancholy. "'Ludwig had no plumage. "'He found in his notes a deeper brilliance than any peacock blue.' But his lady students found him dull, perhaps a bit of a turkey. Each of those beautiful, talented girls declined his affection, went looking for glossier birds. By then he could not hear the rain, but saw the tone in their faces, fed it into the slow movement of the emperor, while winter washed the streets of Vienna. Ron's interest in music is something that has attracted me to quite a lot of his poems. He often explores the impact of music, the effect of music and its role that it has played in his life.
1: Let's give the final word to Ron as his friend Peter Frankus reads Ron's thoughts on his life in poetry.
0: My life of writing, teaching and publishing poetry has been a deeply satisfying one. My hope is that the poems have also given pleasure to my readers. I can't finish without thanking my good friends, Alex, Kevin and Peter, as well as Tina and Spoken Word at 3CR for making this broadcast possible. I hope you've enjoyed their readings.
1: You have been listening to Spoken Word on 3CR. I'm Tina Janukas, and I've been talking with poets Kevin Brophy and Alex Scovran about the work of fellow poet Ron Pritty, who has just published his new and selected 101 Poems with Pitt Street Poetry. Ron's reflections on his life in poetry were read by Peter Frankus. Spoken Word broadcasts every Thursday at 9am or live stream through cr.org.au. Thank you for listening.